What is up, Iwu crew? Today, we are covering five eerie cases of people who have disappeared in national parks, forests, and vast wilderness areas. The first case is of Jared Negretti, a 13-year-old boy who vanished during a hike in 1991. He had gone on a camping trip with his Boy Scout troop in San Bernardino National Forest, which was reportedly his first ever overnight backpacking trip. On the morning of July 19th, the troop left their base camp for a day hike on Mount San Gorgonio. As they approached the summit of the mountain that evening, they realized that Jared was not with them. He had somehow been separated from the group, and no one was sure when it happened. Apparently, another group of hikers on the trail noticed that the 8th grader had fallen behind. They informed the troop leader, and he told them that he would pick Jared up on their way back down the trail. Except, they never saw Jared when they headed back. The troop leader decided to return the boys to base camp before setting out on foot in the dark to get help. A sheriff-led search was launched immediately over an area of 130 square miles. After three days, they restricted their efforts to an area of six square miles. It was in this zone that they were said to have discovered a shoe print that matched Jared's shoes. They also found wrappers from beef jerky and candy, which they thought Jared might have dropped after he disappeared from the trail. Then they found Jared's camera. It had only 12 photos on the film roll. Most of them were pictures of landscapes, which he had likely taken along the way. Except for the last one. An eerie close-up of Jared's face from the nose up. Although you can't see his whole face, it's pretty clear he was not smiling. It appears to have been taken in the dark, or perhaps just in a very shady area. People have speculated that the photo may have been taken by mistake that Jared was attempting to use the camera's flash to light his way at night. Law enforcement and search and rescue teams put in more than a combined 45,000 hours looking for him extensively. No other signs or clues were found after the discovery of the shoe print, food wrappers, and camera. No remains, no clothing, nothing. And to this day, Nearly 30 years after his disappearance, no one has ever seen Jared Negretti again. Number four on our list is a case that's been dubbed the Death Valley Germans. It is rumored that Eastern California's infamous Death Valley National Park is a place where lots of human remains are found. Accidents are known to take place in this desert. It has tremendously rough, rocky terrain with extremely high temperatures during the day and is very cold at night. So hikers and visitors must come prepared before they go in. Back in the summer of 1996, four Germans arrived in the United States for an exciting family trip. Egbert Rimkus, a 34-year-old architect, took his 11-year-old son as well as his 27-year-old girlfriend and her four-year-old son on the trip. When they landed in Los Angeles in early July that year, 
they rented a car to explore the California coastline and then headed toward Las Vegas. On July 22nd, they went to Death Valley National Park. Apparently, they intended to make their way to Yosemite National Park before finally catching their flight home on July 27th. But they never made that flight. When they got to Death Valley National Park, they bought informational materials about the area that included a map of historic and defunct roads. That night, they reportedly opted to camp out at Hanopah Canyon. And interestingly, claims have been made that Egbert was running low on cash and sent a fax to his ex-wife requesting her to wire more money to him. But it appears he never obtained it. This may explain some of the decisions they made over the following days. They continued to make stops along old mining sites and unoccupied geological stations throughout their journey, and even signed the guest books at some of these places. It seemed that they were following a shortcut they found on their map. But these roads were super rugged and would have required a four-wheel drive vehicle to cross. Definitely not a minivan. The family struggled as the road conditions worsened, and they eventually found themselves unable to go any further after riding on three flat tires for quite some time. They are thought to have then exited their vehicle and headed out on foot toward the China Lake military base, which they would have seen on their map. But they didn't make it there. Fast forward three months. A ranger discovers their abandoned vehicle in Anvil Canyon while conducting an aerial search for illegal drug operations. When he ran the plates, he found out it had been reported stolen by the rental company. An investigation was launched, and while footprints food wrappers, and alcohol containers were discovered. The family of four was not. Inside the van, they found a few film rolls that included some pictures of their travels in Death Valley. A number of searches were carried out over the years to come, but they too were unsuccessful. A lot of theories emerged to explain what happened to the Germans. Some people say they staged the disappearance so they could start a new life elsewhere, while others claim Egbert had an obsession with covert military operations, and their case may have been linked to conspiracy theories. However, no evidence came up to support any of these ideas. Finally, in 2009, Los Angeles search and rescue worker Tom Mahood and his friend Les Walker decided to search the area themselves. They hoped to find something that would explain what happened to the family. And they had a theory about where to look for clues, based on all of the acquired knowledge on the case up to that point. Near the China Lake Naval Weapons Station, they eventually found some answers. It was there that they discovered a wine bottle, the girlfriend's wallet, a few other personal items, and human remains. Two sets of adult human bones were found eight miles from the van. An expanded search of this immediate area revealed more human bones. However, they did not contain enough DNA to confirm if they did, in fact, belong to the two children. Now, moving on to number three, 
we've got the case of Douglas Legg, an eight-year-old boy from Syracuse who went missing in New York's Adirondack Mountains. In July of 1971, Douglas and his family were staying at their cabin in the Santanoni Preserve. The boy had spent a great deal of time in the woods surrounding the property, even earning the title of mini woodsman. But one day that summer, something went terribly wrong. On July 10th, Doug and his relatives left the homestead to hike in the surrounding forest. Not far down the trail, his uncle saw poison ivy and sent him back to the cabin to put on some long pants. Given his experience and familiarity with those woods, as well as the fact that it was a very short distance to the cabin, they knew he'd be safe and would return quickly. Douglas did as he was told, but never came back. His family frantically searched the cabin and the immediate area, but saw no sign of him. They were panicked and perplexed. None of it made any sense. Douglas was just gone. One of the Adirondacks' largest search operations began immediately. More than 600 people were involved in the efforts, including the Sierra Madre Search and Rescue Unit, which Legg's family had paid to have flown in. Six full weeks of tireless searching would yield not a single sign of the mini woodsman. As the years went by, desperate to find out what happened to Doug, his relatives began to grow suspicious of friends and even each other. However, this didn't change anything, and the police stood by their initial beliefs that the child had somehow become lost after separating from his family on the trail that day. A few leads have popped up over the years, but none of them have ever panned out. It's been nearly 50 years now since Doug went missing. Some of his relatives have since passed away, including his mother and father, and the cabin was sold a few months after the incident. Sadly, the boy was never found. We're now at case number two, which is the eerie disappearance of 16-year-old Teresa Lynn Gibson, also known as Trenny, who was a high school student in Knoxville, Tennessee. On the morning of October 8, 1976, Trenny and 30 to 40 of her classmates loaded onto a school bus for a field trip. At the time, none of them knew where they were going until their teacher announced they'd be going to the Smoky Mountains to explore the nature there. On the bus, Trenny sat with her older brother's friend, Robert Simpson. Her brother had asked Robert to look after his sister on the field trip, so when she had failed to bring a coat that day, Robert gave her his own. When the class arrived at their destination, the plan was to hike the Forney Ridge Trail from Klingman's Dome to Andrews Bald and back. The students broke into smaller groups as they walked along the trail. Up at Andrews Bald, Robert and Trenny ate lunch together before heading back separately. Classmates say the young woman was walking hastily, like she was on a mission, as she passed several groups along the way. In fact, at the time she was thought to have gone missing, she should have had one group of peers ahead of her and behind her, making it even more difficult to understand how any of this could have happened. One classmate reported 
that she watched Trenny after she had passed their group. She said she had seen Trenny come to a stop and bend over to look at something on the ground. She then looked toward her right and walked off the trail in that direction. The classmate says this last image of the missing girl haunts her to this day. When the group reached the point where she had exited the trail, they did not see her, even after calling out her name. That was the last anyone ever saw of Trenny Lynn Gibson. When everyone got back to the bus, the teacher did a head count and realized he was one student short. After checking the immediate area, he decided to send the students back to the school while he called the National Park Service for help. A thorough search of the area would yield no sign of the young woman. Police dogs did pick up her scent at an intersection where Forney Ridge Trail meets the Appalachian Trail. They followed it back down to Klingman's Dome Tower and eventually to the road where it ended about a mile and a half away. Nearly 44 years later, Trenny has yet to be found. Over the decades, a number of theories have emerged. A few months before the class field trip, a frightening incident had taken place at the Gibson family home. A young man named Kelvin Bowman had drunkenly broken into their house in the middle of the night to get a hold of Trenny, and her mother actually shot him in the foot to defend her child. He went to jail and vowed to get revenge when he was released. However, there is no evidence linking him to this case. It was before the time of cell phones, so he would have had to follow the bus that day to know where she was, and at that time, he did not have a car. The other ideas about what could have happened to Trenny include theories from getting lost, to falling off a cliff, to being attacked by a wild animal, to being taken, to even being lured from the trail by somebody. And then there's Robert Simpson. Some people wonder if he tried to make a move on her while they ate lunch at Andrew's Bald, and that would explain why they descended separately. Later on, Trenny's comb, which her mother said she wouldn't be caught dead without, was discovered in Robert Simpson's car. However, he was never arrested nor named a person of interest. Interestingly, when the kid was questioned about his whereabouts, after separating from Trenny, he told investigators that he had left the trail to track a bear. So no one knew where Robert was from the time everyone left Andrew's Bald to when he appeared on the bus after 3 p.m. To this day, nothing more has developed within the case. Finally, the last case is that of Amy Rowe Bechtel, a woman who disappeared in Wyoming's Shoshone National Park back in 1997. At the time, Amy was working with a local gym to organize a 10K marathon. On July 24th, she headed out to run some errands, teach a class at the gym, and planned to enter the national park to map out the marathon route. But she never returned home that day and has not been seen since. Thankfully, Amy's proposed map for the marathon gave searchers some indication of where to begin looking. Sure enough, at the location where the run would have ended, they found Amy's vehicle. The doors were unlocked, and Amy was nowhere to be seen. 
Her car keys and sunglasses were on the passenger seat, but her wallet was gone. A large and extensive search was launched immediately, but yielded absolutely no results. And quickly, the missing person case turned into a criminal investigation. Unfortunately, the crime scene seems to have been compromised during the searches. Any evidence, such as tire tracks, fingerprints, fibers, or DNA that may have been in the car was compromised by someone tampering with her unsecured vehicle. The case left people confused. None of it made sense. But then, law enforcement began to look at Amy's husband, Steve. Although he did have an alibi that was corroborated by his friend, a few things seemed amiss. Before calling the authorities, his friends had described Steve as extremely panicked, flustered, and worried sick about a spouse. But when Steve made the call around 10.30 p.m. to report his wife missing, he allegedly seemed quite calm. He even jokingly told the 911 operator, Hey, this is Steve Bechtel calling. Um, I've got a missing person, and I'm wondering if you maybe have an extra. At some point, investigators did search the couple's property and discovered some of Steve's journals. In them, he described violent acts against women, and more specifically, against his wife. That's when the investigation shifted its focus onto Amy's husband. Investigators began to question the guy, and at first, he was cooperative and even agreed to take a polygraph test. On August 1st, eight days after Amy disappeared, they brought him in for an interrogation. At some point, their questions got to him. Apparently, they falsely claimed they had evidence linking him to his wife's demise. Steve became enraged and immediately left the interrogation. He lawyered up and informed detectives he would no longer be available for questioning, nor would he follow through with the lie detector test. And without any evidence, they were unable to charge him with anything. Several witnesses had told the police that they had seen Amy running on the National Park Road where her vehicle had been found. A witness even claimed she saw a pickup truck that matched the description of Steve's truck. She saw it speeding away from where Amy had last been seen, adding that the driver was a white male and a female who looked like Mrs. Bechtel was riding in the passenger seat. Steve's refusal to cooperate with the investigation upset her family members, especially her brother, Nels. Less than a year after Amy's disappearance, her sisters made an appearance on The Geraldo Rivera Show, in which they begged Steve for answers on what happened that day. Ten years later, Sheriff Sergeant Roger Rezor told the Billings Gazette, I believe it was a homicide, and I believe what happened to her happened on the day she disappeared. In my mind, there is only one person that I want to talk to, only one person who has refused to talk to law enforcement, and that's her husband. Yet, he walks free to this day. If you enjoyed this video, be sure to hit the like button and subscribe. A playlist is going to pop up right now with more videos you'll love. See you guys next time.